you don't need to look at their teeth, right? You just need to look at their eyes because they're actually smiling. They're smiling from the inside and no one's told them to smile. They're just smiling because they're confident, because they're happy, because they're proud. And that's the stuff I love doing. That's the effect I love having. And that's where the passion comes from in terms of dentistry. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. My name is Erica Huynh, and for this month's feature, we are joined by Dr. Lingaya Jonavali. Now, Dr. Lingaya is someone who I haven't known for all that long, but as you'll probably hear from today's episode, is one of those people who you just meet and get along with like a house on fire. He's got an energy that's full of enthusiasm and is so infectious, and he is someone that is full of stories and motivational quotes. And so this was just a really fun and enjoyable episode to record. In this episode, we talk about Dr. Lingaya's journey in dentistry, from his early years being a new grad much like us and battling those feelings of feeling inadequate, having huge expectations in himself, but lacking the tools and the resources and mindset to help him grow, and how that overall affected his feeling of fulfillment in dentistry. We talk about mindset shifts and the discovery of digital dentistry that really changed the whole scene. And how it's not only shaped the way that Lingaya has grown as a clinician and now practices dentistry, but also how he's learned to leverage technology to maximize efficiencies and workflows within his practice and ultimately optimize the entire patient experience. We talk about practice ownership and the relationship Dr. Lingaya has with his associates and the importance of nurturing and cultivating a mutually supportive environment. This was a fun and lighthearted conversation, and so I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Lingaya, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited, Lingaya. I feel like we've only known each other for, what, like a month? <laughs> I met you, I feel like need. it's all I need, <laughs> <Yeah>. hey? <laughs> Dentistry is a small world. It's crazy to think. I think I've known you for less than a month, but we just got along really well. I really enjoyed your energy and your vibe. And you managed to brainwash me enough that I decided, hey, why don't you join me on the podcast <laughs> just to have a good chat, hey? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this as we go along, but this is straight up inception. <laughs> yeah, is it? Okay. You have to tell me more about it, but I've already anticipated, like, I said to you, these are my favorite kind of interviews where we're doing a feature. We're going to dive into your journey in dentistry, your story. I've already anticipated that you're going to be really enthusiastic and share a lot. So I've got my cup of tea. I've got a blanket. I'm just ready to sit back and just (laughs) let you take charge of this episode. (laughs) Welcome to the Lingaya Show. (laughs) Welcome to the Lingaya Show. (laughs) For all our listeners who perhaps don't know you as well as I do, I wanted to start off by asking you, actually, I've never asked you this in person yet, but even before we met, I keep hearing this term that gets thrown around as you being the dental peacock. And I haven't (laughs) asked you, (laughs) why are you the dental peacock? What's the story behind it? Can you tell me and share it with our listeners? It's funny. So first of all, there's the joke behind it, but like to me, it has two meanings. So the first part of it is a joke because I love to, whenever I do something right, I love to show it off. Right. I feel that in dentistry, the focus can always be on focusing on the bad, focusing on the mess ups, focusing on the mistakes. But what I really found enjoyable is like focus on the good thing. So when something good happens, you know, share it, be proud of it. But uh, I do that a lot. And so, you know, if you work with me or you're in that general vicinity, like you're going to cop it. And so it became a role with a kind of joke. Right. 
it's always if you're dental peacocking, you're like hiding your insecurities and all of that kind of stuff. And I just lent into the joke. But, you know, the deeper meaning for me is that I'm someone who early on in my career and for a big part of my career, I was like many dentists, very insecure about their work, very self-limiting in the sense that I didn't think I could do a lot of things. And now when I look back at my work, more so, you know, I really get enjoyment out of the fact that I did this. Things that I would never think that I was able to do. Things that I would stare on social media and other people's accounts and be like, oh, no, no way I can do this. And when I'm pulling it off and when I'm doing good things for the patient and you see how it changes their lives, like it's so rewarding. And I really want to, I guess, promote that, promote the positivity in terms of not only what you're doing for the patient, but being proud of your work and celebrate yourself because that's where the confidence comes from, right? So much of dentistry is about confidence, particularly when you're communicating. And so if you're not confident in your own work or not proud of your own work, then it becomes a really slippery slope. It becomes very hard to advocate for your patients when you present the best treatment options or even have the confidence to do your work and you can spiral pretty quickly if you just focus on the negative yeah i mean that's the story behind the dental peacocking sort of thing (laughs) you raise a few good points i kind of like that whole idea where it's like you've taken a term that's meant to be or meant to have almost like a slight negative connotation but then (laughs) reclaimed it like reclaimed power over it made it yourself you know what it's me and i'm gonna turn it into a good thing but much like what you said about seeing the positive in things a concept that I've only I think recently started to understand a bit better is the whole concept of gratitude and people say it and I used to think yeah it's wishy-washy everyone says you need to be grateful for this grateful for that gratitude journals never really made sense to me but it was I think I've mentioned in the podcast before in the past it was with like Cajun Chia where he the limitless dentist he runs our mental well-being series but he talks about how gratitude is almost the key to a lot of the anxieties and stresses that we have in dentistry. Like you say, you can do 10 things right, but the one thing you do wrong, you end up focusing on that and letting that really bring you down. But if we perhaps express gratitude for the nine things that went well, much like what you said, celebrating those nine wins and just being proud of it, then really that can help shift our overall mindset to being a lot more productive. And yeah, I think it's something that we're going to go into a lot more detail on throughout the podcast as well. It's just this whole mindset. Yeah. And it's hard work because we're all like wired that way. We're all wired to focus on that one person that didn't want to come back and see you or that one Google review out of the hundred that said this was rubbish. So, you know, that's unfortunately, that's just our human nature. Like we focus on the negative. And so it takes effort to focus on the positive. And I, I by no means have mastered that. Like there are still times where I only focus on the negative. But I think if you actively try and do that, it certainly helps. Yeah. You already kind of mentioned it before how this wasn't something that you was innate to you or not something the dental peacock was something that you grew into, lent into, but in your early years, much like everyone else, you also suffered that insecurity and the day-to-day stresses of dentistry. And so I wanted to wind our conversation, take a little trip down memory lane back to when, you know, Lingaya was a fresh new grad. Yeah, about <laughs> um, 25 kilos lighter. About 25 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say 25 years ago. I'm like 25 years ago. 25 kilos ago, (laughs) what was new grad life like for you? What were you like when you first entered the world of dentistry? Well, during 
dental school, it was very much do whatever needed to be done to get through. It wasn't like I look back and now I do regret not making the most out of that learning opportunity. It was very much do what I need to pass the exam, get a decent mark. And that was, it was just an objective to complete. That's the way we looked at dental school. I, me and a few of the people I hung out with, it was very much just get through dental school. And that was not the attitude to have. I, I look back and I think what a wasted opportunity. But, you know, when I first graduated, so I graduated with my wife, Rachel, she's also a dentist and we both graduated at the same time and she got a job in the Sunshine Coast. And so she had got her job about two or three months before graduation and I hadn't been looking because I just focused on exams. And to be honest, I, it wasn't part of the objective list just yet. So then we moved to the Sunshine Coast and I started looking for jobs and it was difficult. I basically went around to about 50 clinics on the Sunshine Coast and just looked up where the addresses were, what their phone numbers were and dropped off my resume in person for 50 different dental clinics and did not get a single callback. So that was very deflating, right? And then managed to just squeak through into a Queensland health job. And I was like, great, at least I'm working. And stayed there for about two or three months. And it wasn't somewhere where I was growing or learning or anything like that. It was just turn up, do what I had to do, and then go home. And then I came home one day and in the letterbox, there was a like, dental news bulletin from one of the local practices. And so th this practice was literally like 800 meters up the road and tucked around a corner. So when I looked around, I hadn't dropped off a resume or anything. So I called them up and said, hey, I'm a new grad. I'm looking for a job. And they said, great, come in. And that's where it started. It's funny how things can play out. Like when you're not even looking and just by chance, they dropped a letterbox drop in our thing. And this was in a time where before or early social media days, or you couldn't really find out a lot about people. And so I went in, had an interview and got my job there. And so that's how I got my first, I guess, private job or the job I stayed for a while. So I worked in Sunshine Coast for about four years. And you know what, like I look back on it and it's so funny how you talk about perspective because perspective at the time was like, I was busting my ass. I was working eight to 10 hours, if not more a day. And, you know, some days we'd see 12, 15, 20 patients as a new grad. And that felt like a lot of patients to see. And so we did that. And the environment was very much that I had a boss who basically he ran a tight ship right so if you messed up his foot would be up your ass and there was this rule through fear sort of situation and me being a new grad i didn't have the personality i didn't have the courage to talk back or realize that this wasn't working for me so because it was so hard to find my first job i stayed there for about four years thinking that i could i could never do better than this and that was the mentality I had at the time. But if I'm honest with myself and I look back at it now, I make it sound like I worked really hard and it wasn't a great situation and things like that. But what I realized is I kind of helped mold that myself in the sense that you hear that line, you only ever get out what you put in. And I was putting in the bare minimum to not get in trouble, to not have to be in his office. Or it was very much stay out of sight. No one's looking at what you're doing, that means you're doing something right. 
okay? It was more focused on don't make mistakes instead of try and improve yourself. And because I had that mentality, it, it wasn't a great first job for me. And the best day of the week was Friday afternoon and the worst day of the week was Sunday, right? Because you knew the next day was Monday. And after a while, it, it got very taxing. And so after about four years of working there, we moved down to Brisbane because we wanted to be closer to the family. We were about to start our own family. And that was my first job. Now, the good things out of that job was I was busy. I started to improve my proficiency because I'm not someone who had amazing hand skills or amazing clinical knowledge or anything like that. I was someone who, if you put me somewhere, I could stay out of trouble. And if you left me alone for a few months, nothing would burn down. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the analogy I would put to it. I wonder, you mentioned perspective, and I think it's so interesting how, oh my, I wonder whether times have changed. I wonder whether social media has had a big role in it. Actually, just recently, we did an episode with Nove where we talked about how times for new grads 5, 10, 15 years ago is very different to it nowadays because of social media and the comparison. But I think of when you describe working in your f- first job for four years and kind of not being satisfied, but just keeping with that status quo because it was all you knew. It took you so much effort to get into that job and your goal was just to get, not to get into trouble, but there wasn't really any big push. But I think about just how new grads are nowadays where if they're not making progress within months, within a year, they're out of there. They're looking for something else. And I wonder like, yeah. Because uh, I think the big thing about that is that as a community with social media, call it good, call it bad, we're just so much more open. So the grad that graduates today has, all they need to do is go to DPR and they get a good snapshot of the topics, the concerns, what happens. I mean, sure, it may not all be right, but it just gives you more information. Whereas when you go back to, so I graduated in 2010, it was very hard to find out this information unless you connected with people regularly. And at the time, being very funnily enough, introverted new grad, right? The only time you ever saw other dentists was pretty much when you go to the free CPD lectures, right? And at those lectures, everyone's too busy, I don't know, just picking up their CPD, turn up, have some very light conversations and then go home. And it's, I was part of that. I was the person who turned up, had a few refreshments and then disappeared, right? And so if you're not making those connections, then it's very hard to know what's outside your world or the four walls you're in at that time. Whereas, exactly. Whereas these days, literally at anyone's fingertips is how to do anything or how your mates are going, how everyone else is doing, what's expected, what's the industry norm, what's not the industry norm. And you can find out all of these things. And I don't have an issue with ambition ambition, motivation. I think these are all good things. But at the same time, having the ambition to be doing all these things and without the motivation and the commitment to do the learning or to put in the effort and just expect them to be given to you, that's where I feel there can be a bit of a disconnect these days. Mm -mm -mm. Sure. So you were saying then that was your first four years then being in that environment, being in these four walls where you didn't really know any better. And then you and your wife made the move down to Brisbane and you had to start again. So what happened from that part? 
So what happened from that part is basically literally just a change in location and not a change in mindset. It was more of the same. It was, I wanted to do all these lofty things, but never really put in the effort to do it. And one of the things that I really wanted to do as the years went by was essentially I wanted to own a practice, right? So I'd keep talking about it, keep talking about it, but I wouldn't do anything to actually make it happen. And so for the next four years, it was, again, just try and stay within my limits and, again, not draw attention to myself and not cause too many problems, but at the same time, not really grow, right? It was, again, if you don't stuff up, no one can blame you, right? But within a blink of an eye, literally eight years gone, and I, you look back at those eight years and I think, I'm glad I slowly became a better dentist than when I was a new grad. I was quicker. I could talk a little bit better to patients, but I don't think much had changed. I don't think I had achieved what I wanted to achieve. I didn't even know what I wanted to achieve because one of the things you do is if you don't set yourself goals, then you can't fail. So that was the mentality. And then finally, after many years of me like moaning, my wife said to me, well, look, if you want to be a practice owner, do something about it. And so we found a practice that was nearby and we were just like, yep, this is it. Let's just go buy it. And so we did. We talked ourselves into it being a good idea. And like many practices that get bought on the open market, there's always baggage. And we didn't realize just how much until we got in there and found out, right? And so that was the transition into ownership. And it was very much that now I was there like I had gotten access to dental practice owners Facebook group and I was like, tick, what do I do now? <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a really tough period, that initial transition into ownership because you look around and you realize that there's no one else to blame, right? You can't say, oh, the patient was nuts, the associate was nuts, my boss was mean or you can't say these things like you, you because no one's going to listen, right? If you don't take charge, then it's very easy for you to spiral, right? And the situation was we took over and there was no patience. There was something, nothing was up to compliance because the previous owner knew that they were going to sell. So for the five years, they didn't spend a single dollar on the practice. So when we took over ownership, every month, something cost $10,000 and we were seeing no patients. So there was no money coming in. And I wasn't working as an associate either. So that was a tough time financially, but also mentally, because at, at that time I wanted to be an owner. I wanted to be an owner and going by my previous behaviors and the way I approached things, it was very much wing it. And yeah, once you got in there, like that was probably the hardest part of our careers and you know, our lives basically. And then what happened was we got to a point where credit cards were maxed out the cash just wasn't coming in and that's that was probably where we where I had to just look in the mirror and realize look if, if anyone's going to change this it, it has to start with you and we started making small changes and small changes means that if we saw three patients a day or four patients a day sitting down at the end of each of those patients and saying well and talking to my receptionist talking to my assistant and say hey what do you think what could we have done better you know really bringing the team on this and, you know, slowly making those tweaks. And it had an effect. Like we, we started slowly improving and after two or three years, 
we kind of find found ourselves plateauing because we were again i hadn't really grown my clinical skills it was very much people would come see me because i did a good job of the basics and i was a nice enough person to have a conversation but I don't think we were actually doing anything valuable for our patients. There was no point of difference between our practice and so many others. And when you're in metro areas anywhere in the country, the competition is fierce. If I Google dentists, Everton Hills, which is where our practice is located, there's at least 30 other dentists within the kilometer. So just being nice is not good enough, right? Because everyone can be nice. And I think that's when we sort of realized we needed a point of difference. And when we were looking for point of difference, the kind of work that I enjoyed doing was the fixed pros and we did a reasonable amount of it. And we thought, well, what plays to our strength? And that's when we got involved with CERT. When the new CERT came out, it was basically the prime mill and the prime scan that came out, I think it was 2019 or 2018. That's when we first, literally day one of release, one went to Lincoln, one went to Lawrence, one went to me. And I didn't even know. I was just that sucker who was buying it on the first day. (laughs) And that, again, that, that changed my career, changed my passion for dentistry, changed everything. Simply because before that, up until that point, dentistry was a good job. It paid the bills, right? But I can honestly say if someone paid me as much to be a retail assistant, mow lawns, like I would have done that, right? There was not a lot of passion for dentistry. It was a more means to an end sort of thing. And then, you know, that all changed once we got the CEREC. And once we got the CEREC, it didn't change instantly. It very much changed because, hey, I've spent $250,000 on something. I need to know everything about it. (laughs) And for the record, we didn't have $250,000. It was borrowed money as well. There was this sort of being stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it forced me to realize that, hey, I need to do ABC, right? And I found it more and more interesting because the funny thing about CEREC is you'll hear this term like CEREC dentists or terrible or anyone with a CEREC is terrible. What people need to understand is the CEREC is a tool. It only gives you what you put in. And when you sort of realize that's when it, you can, it can really work for you because you realize the variable isn't the machine, the materials, or what you're doing. The, machine, the variable is you, and you have full control over you. And you can really improve very quickly with the feedback that it gives you. But as much as I'm a CERT convert now, like when I first got it, I still remember taking triple tray impressions for every single patient and sending them away with the temporary and then getting my lab guy to pour up the model and we'd sit there and check the fits of these crowns, right? Because we're like, we don't believe this. <laughs> and then fast forward a few months, he started selling other dentist crowns made off my cervix. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Plot twist, <laughs> right? And going on that journey and doing that assessment, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, a brief run through of the way the career sort of played out. And then since then, it's just been leaps and bounds, right? Particularly because when you when you start using the CEREC and you start actively assessing your work and realizing what works, what doesn't, it just makes you grow. And the other side of it is it really opened up the door because I've done all the CPD. I've done the mini residencies to 
Tony's course and Michael's course and things like that. But I'd never had the courage or the bravery to go out and do those cases. But then once I had a CERIC, I was very much, well, what is the worst case scenario here? The worst case scenario is that if something doesn't look right, I'm going to have to remake it. Or if something breaks, I'm happy to do that. And I was committed to that process. And doing that, knowing that the worst case wasn't that bad, it really helped me take on those cases. And once I started doing those cases and slowly building my confidence there, that's when a lot of my passion for dentistry, what I was doing and business, everything sort of took off from there. So, yeah. If you're on the hunt to upgrade your current pair of loops, or if you're a student looking to invest in your very first pair, let's talk about Admitech Loops by Byron Medical. Last year, just about everyone around me was showing off their brand new pair of refractive loops with a wireless butterfly light that had just hit the market. I had to get on board and I'm pleased to say I've not looked back, or should I say down, since. Lightweight, sturdy and stylish, Admitech's Ergo Loops are designed to optimize your posture so you're not popping a disc trying to prep the distal of that 4.7. Level up your scales and cleans when you can actually see every tiny fleck of calculus fly off the tooth. With a tiny battery light that clips on magnetically and switches out seamlessly even mid-procedure, say goodbye to getting tangled in your wires and the painful indents on your nose bridge from having to support heavy loops. Biomedical are Australian-based and are quick and easy to get in touch with and address any issues you have. They'll even come out to your workplace for your initial consult and fitting session. So look no further, pardon the puns, and join the club. And if you mention Dental Head Start, they'll even throw in a special added bonus. I find it really funny not to discount your really, <laughs> your, your very impactful journey in dentistry and all the highs and lows that you had to go through. But it's interesting hearing you have that buildup of you're at this all-time low where you guys are really struggling and then you found your solution. <laughs> you found your answer and it was Sarah. <laughs> Insert DS logo here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whilst I, I know that obviously I've been to your CEREC 2 success courses, we're going to talk a lot more about digital dentistry and CEREC and how it's really come into your workflow and day-to-day -day practicing of dentistry. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and it was just really funny to hear. But you mentioned earlier about how even moving from your first practice in Sunshine Ghost to Brisbane, how the only change was a change in scenery and location, but mindset hadn't changed. And even going into practice ownership, mindset still hadn't changed. You were still very much someone who had these thoughts and had these goals and ambitions, but not necessarily the step-by-step, -step, what's the word? <laughs> like thought process of and commitment to executing it. And then obviously you went through the struggles, made small changes, plateaued a bit until you found Sarek. Whilst that was a tool that was added to your system that helped you then come out of this plateau, mindset-wise, what changed? Mindset-wise, it was very much realizing that I could do things. You know, I remember talking to my first patient about, hey, severely worn dentition, we kind of need to do something. We're looking at sort of opening the vertical and all, all of this kind of stuff. I remember talking to my first patient about it, right? And that first patient, literally I spent two hours talking to them about why they need to do this. 
And everyone can guess how that played out. They said, oh, yeah, let's do it. And then they ghosted me, right? And I was so dejected, right? And then what happened was I started to talk to patients and each time you get rejected or someone says no to something you want to do to help them, it's very demoralizing. Like even now, I can't hide my facial expressions when someone says no. (laughs) And so it was really understanding that communication was the key because it, like I did CPD, I did courses and things like that, but I was one of those people who'd turn up and then you go back to work and you never do anything about it. And the key is communication. When I focused on my communication, then that's when I noticed the biggest change. And it's sort of like a positive feedback loop. So if something goes well, you keep doing it. And so when I worked on my communication and realized what I should say, what I shouldn't say, how to talk to the patients, make sure they have informed consent, and even small things like just watching my body language around patients, not talking to patients, standing over them while I'm looking down and saying, hey, why don't you come over here and we can look through it together. Just focusing on those smaller details made such a huge difference. And before I knew it, people were a lot more responsive to what I was talking about. And a lot more people were saying yes. And when they're saying yes, that means you're practicing the clinical skills that you want to practice. And then it also means it's good for business as well. And that was probably the biggest changer because up until that point, everyone had told me to do something or, you know, I went to prime practice or I went to other communication things and none of that really sat right with me. I took some amazing tools out of it, but my personality just didn't fit the kind of stuff that they were preaching. And so, you know, when I spent that time really working on my communication style and sort of something that was more authentic to me, that's what made the biggest change. When I stopped pretending or to be someone else and just said, hey, this is me, this is what I think we should do, this is what it involves, and being a lot more me. And then I realized people responded to that. So really working that out made dentistry more enjoyable because all of a sudden people Yes, you were doing the things you wanted to do. And the byproduct is it was good for business as well. So then once I had done that, then I kind of started being more adventurous with the clinical side of things and really pushing myself. And I guess being a practice owner, it was very liberating as well. Because for the previous eight, 10 years, it was very much, don't do this, don't do this. You had a set box that you had to work inside of and you couldn't really stray too far out of that box. Whereas once you become a practice owner, yeah, you're responsible for everything, but there's also a level of liberation that's there, freedom, and no one's telling you what to do or what you can't do or anything like that. And at the same time, you need to respect that. You can't go being experimental on patients and things like that. But I think that's such a better environment to really push yourself and grow as long as you're committed to you will make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you need to deal with those mistakes and not pointing off patients or uh, anything like that. And I've also found that, particularly with social media, that it's so easy to reach out to someone, right? So someone with more experience and people, are all they want to be is asked. It's so crazy. The people you reach out to that barely anyone ever says no. Everyone wants to help. And 
Those were probably the biggest changes that helped me develop that passion and helped me do the things I wanted. Yeah, for sure. I really want to dive into a little bit more about your journey in practice ownership a little bit later. But when you were talking about communication, it just reminded me of when we first started the podcast where you talked about you know, celebrating your wins and focusing on the things that you do well and goes right. And you mentioned before that little like positive feedback loop where you you accepting who you were and being proud of yourself and being confident in expressing your true self and that authenticity and then getting good feedback from patients and then continuing that, it is very much what you said at the beginning of, yeah, taking pride in that and then getting a good response and that leading to the success that you've had with it. In terms of finding your own communication style, do you have any tips that you've learned from your own journey in communication that you think would be valuable to share to new grads and students? Well, I think the, the biggest thing that I've noticed, and by no ways am I a guru on communication, but from my own personal experience, is very much that whenever people are, I guess, making these decisions or, for example, doing bigger cases or anything like that, it's a very emotional decision. It's very little to do with facts and logic and a lot to do with emotion. They don't care how much you're going to open the vertical dimension. They don't care what length the central incisors are going to be. They don't care whether you're using zirconia or Emacs or what kind of prep you're going to do. What they do care about is what it's going to change for them. And so being able to really succinctly explain that to a patient and say, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to improve your smile. We want to make it so that your teeth are going to be there for the next 20 years and you're not having to patch up your dentistry all the time or only come when there's a toothache or hide your smile in photos, especially because we do a lot of full mass rehabs and smile makeover kind of work. And you see these patients, like none of our patients are like under 40 years old. And so these patients have gone mostly their entire life, never smiling in photos, always being self-conscious and never doing anything about it because they were usually that parent that put themselves at the bottom of the list. Everyone else came before them. And they have gone to a point where basically their responsibilities have lightened, the kids may have moved out. And you see that when we take our before photos and our clinical record photos, like it takes time for them to smile. You have to spend five, 10 minutes telling them jokes just to get a natural smile out of them. Because as soon as the camera's up, they start going like this, right? <laughs> I'll take a screenshot just so our <laughs> listeners know <laughs> the exact face you pulled. <laughs> right? And it's, it's for your older listeners, like in Friends, when Chandler smiles when there's a camera around. <laughs> and you see that initial photo to after the work is completed and you just take a photo afterwards. And you don't need to look at their teeth, right? You just need to look at their eyes because they're actually smiling. They're smiling from the inside and... No one's told them to smile. They're just smiling because they're confident, because they're happy, because they're proud. And that's the stuff I love doing, right? That's the effect I love having. And that's where the passion comes from in terms of dentistry. That's where, you know, the tears come, the hugs come. You've really made a difference for them. And that's not discounting all the other avenues of dentistry or everything else we do as dentists. It's just that's where I found my passion. That's where I found I was making a meaningful impact on someone's life. When you say that doing these like bigger cases, obviously these more smile makeovers where you're really being able to make a huge change in their appearance and their confidence in themselves, did this all come after 
you started exploring digital dentistry more and you were your own practice owner or it definitely came after I was my own practice owner right because no one and my boss is rightfully so if I met myself back then I probably wouldn't have allowed myself to do those things but at the same time that's what I meant by it was very limiting staying inside that box and to be honest maybe I wasn't even ready for it but then once I became an owner there was there was a lot more freedom and so I had done maybe one or two cases before I got the CEREC, but for me still at that time, a lot of my dentistry was still single tooth dentistry. It was maybe one or two teeth, maybe a quadrant, but it was never looking at the whole mouth. And once I got into digital dentistry, the digital age is here and now, and it had such a huge impact to play on my own learning because it used to be articulate, get out your face, bow, do this, do that. Whereas, What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming you've sold your articulator already. I have. Well, I sold it before I graduated. <laughs> well, we asked, we did a student CERIC day and literally everyone had sold their articulator. Yeah. <laughs> and so with the digital age, like it just helped me understand it a lot more. When you overlay a design over someone's teeth the way they are you can see visually okay this is going to work this is not going to work what's going to interfere with this what's going to interfere with that and once you get a mock-up in then your patient becomes your articulator and so it took away a lot of those barriers and a lot of those things that were holding me back in terms of doing these cases and it just sort of clicked once I started going down that digital route and that's not just sorry I, I would say so many that the transition has happened where so many practices these days have a scanner be whatever brand it is and in terms of that digital age we're not limited to the guy in the next suburb or the guy two suburbs away where the world is literally your oyster right you can get designs from anywhere in the world and i found that very liberating because then we were able to offer every patient that walked in basically hey this is what we can do this is what it looks like we're going to do a mock-up for you and show you what it looks like and when patients can see those sorts of things and it's tangible right that's when they get excited about it that's when they're like you mean i don't need to settle for this because so many times they'd go see dentists and i was one of those dentists who would never say anything about it because we project a lot of ourselves onto the patients. We project our insecurities and our ability to actually complete the treatment onto the patients. And we'll just refuse. If we've never done veneers, we're not going to talk to them about veneers. And that was the mindset I had, right? If there was someone who could benefit from aligners and I knew nothing about aligners, I just didn't talk to them about aligners. Or I'd make these assumptions that, oh, someone's 40, 50 years old, they don't really want to go see the orthodontist. So I'd never even talk about it. And I think those are the things that uh, I caught myself doing. And I know that these patients have heard other dentists do it to them as well. Where with the digital age, if you have a scan of someone's teeth, you can get an Invisalign proposal, a short smile proposal. You can do a mock-up for them. You can show them everything they could be. And then it's up to them. If they want to do this, then they can, if they don't have to. But I, I think it's really great for the patient education process. And in turn, converting those patients to getting the treatment that makes them happier. 
Hundred percent. No, what you were saying that it just reminds me actually of two particular cases I wanted to share, and I often share cases on the podcast with our listeners, and oftentimes it's inspired by conversations with people such as yourself and Gaia, where it's just reminded me or inspired me to then try something with patients. But going back to what you were saying about how digital dentistry has really just lifted the ceiling off of what is possible as a general dentist, it just makes me think of like the iPhone <laughs> and just smartphones in general, right? How it is, I listened to a podcast the other day where someone was just saying how crazy it is that you have a device now that is both your phone and gives you access to internet and is a GPS tracker and can monitor your heart rate and is your alarm and plays music, what used to be like the radio as well as like the equivalent of CDs and just like is a compass, like a notepad, everything just on one device. It's unheard of, but in the same way, like that's what's happened in dentistry as well, rather than having a case where, and I think why it's beneficial for our listeners to hear is in dental school, you don't get taught a lot of it. It's just the analog approach of things. And a lot of things such as you said, it seems beyond our realm. It's, oh, they have to see the specialist. When in reality, with just a simple scanner, you have the ability to do digital smile designs, to do a clear aligner simulation. Even if clinically you're not there yet, you can still offer that to a patient. And so these two cases that I just thought of were just recently after conversations I've had with you, Lingaya, where I had a patient come in and she's had the diastema there. She's been to the practice for so long and it's just something that has always been there. Maybe one day she wants to fix it, but you know, it's something that you just keep postponing. And so I said to her, like, do you mind if I just take a scan <laughs> or take some photos? I don't even know if I took a scan for her at that point. I think I just took a photo of her teeth and went home and did my own little digital smile design on PowerPoint, brought her back in another day and showed her. And she's like, let's do it. <laughs> and that was just something so simple, just realizing, hey, use technology to your advantage. And in a similar vein, just on Monday, I had a patient, this was actually a really impactful moment for me because I just listened to a webinar with Paul Homily on Monday where he was talking about communication and treating patients as people, much like what you say, Linga, just like connecting with them emotionally. And this patient had come in, she was quite a bit closed off, a little bit grumpy. <laughs> and she's like, just in for her hygiene, right? Just her six month hygiene, maybe a year. I think it'd been a bit of time. And she's like, oh, this tooth has been ground down because she keeps biting heavily on it. And this tooth she keeps getting built up with because it's overlap. She's, I think, close to 60s, maybe mid 60s. And she's just like, oh, she thought maybe at some point doing veneers, but you know, she doesn't have a lot of, doesn't prioritize herself doesn't put a lot of thought into herself. She's got all these other things. Dentistry, she's like, I'm too old for it anyway. And it's just not a priority. But then we were chatting and it was just interesting to tap into their motivators. We got to know her and found out that she's looking to leave her job that she doesn't feel appreciated at. And we, she was, I was like, do you travel much? She's like, actually, I think I'm going to go do like a traveling job, right? Go do some locum work and then come back once a month, ditch the husband, ditch the grandchildren. Oh, how many children do you have? I have eight children. What do you do for work? She works in aged care. And then we just got into this conversation where it's just like all your life, all you've done is look is after other people. Of- other people and I'm like go travel and she's like maybe I will like go do something for yourself she's like maybe I will (laughs) and then I'm like you know what veneers may not be an option here because of the alignment of her teeth everything was just overlap but would you be open to like orthodontics and she's like maybe I will (laughs) I'm like do you mind if I just take a scan of your teeth it's free of charge I just want to have a play around to see what's possible and she's like why not? <laughs> and so like we do a scan and then I'm just like uploading it onto the software just to see, 
I don't know if it is possible. I'm still a new girl. I don't know what I can do, what I can't do. <laughs> but it was just so fun to kind of just, I wasn't forcing anything on her. I don't know if she'll accept it or not. I don't mind if she does or not. But it was just fun to be able to offer that as an option. And a big part of it, as you said, is because of this digital age where we have the capacity to do that. Absolutely. And it's funny how you said that you weren't forcing it onto her. That is the number one fear of dentists who don't do this kind of work, don't do bigger cases and things like that. It's like, we don't get those patients. We don't, that's not our demographic. No one's going to come in and do these kinds of cases. It just doesn't happen in our clinic. Or like, I'm not as silver-tongued as the next person. I can't convince people to do something. And the biggest fear they have is if they do mention these things, for the patient that they're going to get shot down and the patient's going to look at them as like someone who's just out for a cash grab. And the way you interacted with that lady, like that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be like, I'm trying to sell you this or I'm trying to get you to do this because patients guards are like through the roof, right? They get a whiff of sales, they're shutting down and they've already labeled you as that person who's just out to get a new Beamer or they've already got that stereotype attached in their head. And I think the way you did it was just 100% how it should be done. It should be a conversation to know who that person is. And I'm all for this, like this no obligation, just, hey, let me show you what we can do. And finding that segue or getting better at having that segue into these conversations, that's a skill. And the way for me, what works well is basically if I can see something on their teeth, by now I've got a practice, I've got a case portfolio, whether it be aligners, whether it be veneers, crowns, full mouth rehab, implants, whatever. So there'll be a practice portfolio. And if someone's got worn teeth, then I show them the case that we did for worn teeth, the one that we have really nice photos for. And I say, hey, look, I just want to show you what we can do. Uh, I'm not saying you have to do this, but you know, these are some of the cases we do. And you can very instantly tell from their reaction, they're like, oh, wow. Or you can see in their body language, like it's very visceral, right? And if they are interested, then I just take the opportunity to say, hey, I'll tell you what, let's do a scan of your teeth. And next time you come in, I'll show you what it would look like if we did something like this. And that's not pushy. That's not salesy. That's just very much showing them what options they have. And I found that's worked really well because no one comes in saying, hey, I want a full mouth rehab. Hey, I've got 30 grand. Let's go. No one says these things. And it's about how to have these conversations without getting labeled as being pushy or salesy or having them have their guard up, where the way you did it with such a natural conversation, that's perfect. That's exactly how I'd recommend it to be done. I think it kind of comes down to what you were saying earlier when you talk about attending all these communication courses. A lot of them teach you these tactics to get across case acceptance or win the patient over. And whilst there are definitely tools that are beneficial, you know, things about the way your body language is, the way you're seated, the way you use your language, I definitely think there are merit to those tips and tricks, but everyone has their own communication style, much like what we've discussed. And I think when you listen to, or you attend different courses, or you listen to different dentists and the way that they communicate, some things resonate with you, some things don't. Everyone will find their own style. I think why I clicked with you, Lingai, was just because I liked the way you presented it, just being like, hey, can I show you what we do at our practice? I think that was the one line that you said to me where I was like, that really resonated with me because it wasn't like, oh, 
I'm forcing, I think you need 10 crowns or I think you need 10 veneers. That wasn't forced upon the patient. It was just like, can I just show you? Can I inform you of what possibilities are? And then whether or not they want it, it's ultimately up to them. Again, to some of our listeners, that may not come naturally to them. They may not like that approach. It may not work well in their hands. But what I encourage is, yeah, just being open to different techniques and then finding what works for yourself, hey? We're going to start off with the first motivational quote of the yeah. night. And <laughs> yes. This is something I love to say when I'm talking to students and stuff like that is you miss every shot you don't take. The person who's missed the most number of threes in the NBA is the same person who's scored the most number of threes, right? And that's Steph Curry, right? And having that attitude that, you know what? It doesn't matter if they say no. You pick yourself up and then you go to the next person and you say, hey, this is what's working. This is what's not. And I think this, like the one thing that I found about communications that got to me a little bit was pretty much that the end goal is everyone has to say yes. And if they don't say yes, then it's a failure on your part. Where... I think that just irked me the wrong way. And I think that's when, because as soon as a patient smells desperation, that as a human being, they can feel that. Yeah, they viscerally. Can, <laughs> viscerally, right? So uh, I think going through this process of knowing, getting to know your patient, that patient, 60 years old, eight kids, works in aged care, that is a hard life. And the kind of person who goes through, that's intense. Always putting yourself at the bottom, not only for your own family, but for the people you work with, because people who work in aged care, like they're on a different level, like the amount they care for their patients. And they're usually working under some corporate screen that says you need to be here for 15 minutes and then you've got two minutes to travel and then you've got to be here for 15 minutes where you talk to that person. Once they let their guard down, you see what kind of person they are and they're a very caring and giving person. Just making those connections with those patients, like that's what, forget about the treatment, do that. You do that then it makes a world of difference. You just feel good from that. Yeah, regardless of the treatment, you feel good on a personal connection. You'd be so surprised that when you've made those connections and invested that time and have that empathy, what comes from it, be it treatment, be it patients, or just having someone who, those are the kinds of connections that is going to a, keep that patient there, help you look after their oral health better. And it's a win for everyone. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. 
I think it's also what makes dentistry rewarding. Being six, seven months in now, I'm seeing my first six-month recalls. And compared to at the beginning of the year where you're meeting everyone for the first time and everyone's a stranger, now I'm seeing patients that I've seen a handful of times. And for me, I find that personally really rewarding because you have that personal connection, you're building relationships with them, you have that trust and it just makes everything so much more easier in terms of doing treatment and being able to offer optimal treatment. But also, even if things are difficult or tricky or you make mistakes because you have that good relationship, it's just so much more easier going forwards and so much more stress-free than working on someone who you don't know, you don't have a relationship with, and it's all based on a very shallow level of trust and rapport. Hi, Mrs. Jones. Please take a seat. (laughs) (laughs) please make your next appointment (laughs) exactly exactly going back to what we were saying before about CEREC and the world of digital dentistry before you purchased your first CEREC and like the prime mill prime scan prime scan speed file (laughs) (laughs) what was your experience in digital dentistry like had you had much of a taste for it or did you just jump straight into the deep end this is a story and a half, right? Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so my first experience with, first and only experience with digital dentistry before I went and bought a CEREC was when I had graduated, my first boss bought the entire system. So he spent 250 grand, bought the CEREC, what it was back then, 13 years ago, which was, I think, two generations ago. And he used it and he made one crown and then he sold the whole thing because back then it required a level of technical ability to be able to do it. Like you had to be trained properly. You had to understand the software and not just dentistry. And back then it was a lot harder to use. I mean, if you think about it and you go back 13 years with any piece of technology that you use today and you think of what it was back then. And so my experience was that, well, if he can't make it work and he's my boss and he's this amazing dentist, how the heck am I going to make it work? So I didn't touch digital dentistry again for literally 13 years or not 13 years, for 10 years, basically. And when I had gotten into it and we started looking at scanners, basically (laughs) a very simple person. It's like, oh, To be honest, it wasn't even my idea to get into digital dentistry. As so often is the case, one of the DS reps turned up at my office and said, hey, let me take you out to lunch. And I'm like, yeah, sure, take me out to lunch. Who's going to say no to a free meal? And so we went out to lunch. And the first thing I said to him as soon as he took me out to lunch was like, man, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like, I'm not going to buy anything. (laughs) And he was like, no, that's fine. That's fine. Let's just have some good food. And we started talking about it. And for me at the time, it was very much, it made business sense, right? We were doing a certain amount of fixed pros units every month. Our lab bill was this much and the CEREC repayments were this much. And at that point, particularly with the Prime Scan and Prime Mill, that's when you were able to start using materials such as Zirconia and it had a really good workflow. And my first argument towards the rep was, hey, I really don't need a CEREC. My preps usually take about 40 minutes to an hour and my inserts take 15 minutes. CEREC's not going to make me any faster and it's not going to 
give me any better of a result. Why do I need to do this? And that's where the conversation just stayed on that whole business case where it was like, well, I could pay the lab X amount of dollars or I could pay the repayments for a CERIC and have an asset. And, you know, even at that point, I was like, you know what, it's probably not for me. And that's when they said, hey, let me do a free demonstration for you. And in my head, I was like, man, I'm 100% not going to buy a CERIC. Like we're nowhere in that stratosphere. We're just slowly building our practice. And yeah. they use their your own tools against you. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, at the end of it, I was, you know what, come. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not buying anything. And in my head, I was like, great, I can get two crowns out of this and not have a lab fee, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so they got it all into the practice and I used it for the first time as someone who had no experience in digital dentistry at all. And I was blown away at how easy it was, right? We had a patient come in and we did two premolar crowns and everything was effortless. Everything fit, everything. There was no, I had to rescan. I, the whole process was just effortless. And what really pushed me over the edge is when my patient is obviously watching me do this and I'm saying, hey, you're going to be the guinea pig for me trying this out. And there was someone I knew pretty well. And at the end of it, they just said to me, that, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And they were wonderstruck by it. And that's probably what really pushed, light bulb went off in my head. I was like, you know what, this is what I need to do, Right. It's got nothing to do with the business case was one thing, but you know, what it had more to do in my head was I kept thinking about what was our point of difference, like what made us different from everyone else. And while CERIC has been around for a very long time in many iterations, and there was, I think there was at least three or four CERICs within a K of us. What I'd realized is that patients, no one was leveraging the technology. No one was really getting excited about it. No one was showing their patients, well, forget about everyone else. Like I saw the value in showing our patients and having every patient making it an actual experience. And I think that's what pushed me towards digital dentistry and getting a CEREC. And then once we got into it, everything I thought, you know, that's the way it played out, right? Literally every patient went on a journey with me. We scanned their teeth and we showed them their scans and we talk about their teeth and we, we're doing a crown i show them as i'm designing the crown or as the the ai designs it and like i've seen the seric in action a thousand times tens of thousands of times but every time i see it mill out a crown or the ai create that little tooth i find it amazing and i think my energy is very infectious towards the patients because i'm always showing them at the same time so that they're going on this journey as well and you can see how they're like, oh, wow. And every time someone asks me that age-old question is, oh, well, okay, let's do it. But, you know, this is because you booked that ski holiday or you've got that Merc in the car park. And I very, like, smart-assly say to them, hey, no, it's because we've got a CEREC. We spent a quarter of a million dollars on a CEREC, right? Because they'll ask me how much it is and everything like that. And I'm like, for me saying that, that's a nice little backhand. But at the same time, it makes them understand that we invested this money in technology that gives them a more convenient outcome that improves their experience. And you like the same conversations play out over and over again. It's like what we're doing it all in the same day. Or last time I had to have this plastic tooth, plastic temporary over my tooth. And 
it fell off and all these things that the reps say to you and you think, yeah, that's just rep talk. That's literally the way it plays out. But I think there's also a level of make it a show, make it a journey, making an experience for them so that they see the technology, so they see the difference. And that's what I think I've done really well. And that's why I've fallen head over heels into Sarek. <laughs> the one term you use, Lingaya, that I really love is you keep saying experience. And I think that's something that is really the point of difference. A lot of our patients have treat coming to the dentist as being very clinical. I think of it the same as if I need to go to the GP for a checkup, it's just very clinical. Most of our appointments that you think of that we go to, especially regarding health, are just very clinical. It's a chore an appointment that we have to attend but we don't really think of it as being much of an experience but in today's day and age i think there's a lot of value placed on experiences going to a restaurant going to a nice restaurant isn't just about the food it's about the experience the food is one thing but the presentation the service the atmosphere right using a the latest smartphone is not just practicality it's the experience how user friendly it is i feel like in today's day and age there's a lot of emphasis placed on that. And so translating that into dentistry as well as coming to the dentist isn't just to get a tooth fixed that you can't even see, you don't know what the dentist is doing. Now you designing it in front of them, having them involved with the scan and the design process and all of it, it makes coming to the dentist a lot more memorable. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Yeah. And it really like, and I see this so often that when you know, particularly new users start designing or using it. As soon as they've taken their scans and they're doing the design part of it, they'll unplug the machine and they'll go into a corner and leave the room because they don't want anyone judging their preps, judging the way they design or making judgments on them, right? And I think that's such a wasted opportunity because at the end of the day, the patient has no idea what they're looking at on the screen. They can't tell the difference between a great prep, a poor prep, or what's going on there. But taking them on that journey and being confident about what's going on there, I think it really helps give the patient a better understanding of their oral health, take ownership of their oral health instead of just saying, oh, my teeth the way they are because I didn't drink enough milk or my teeth went to rubbish once I got pregnant or all of these things. It helps bring the ownership and the control back to them as well, right? Because if they're part of that, feel like they're part of that process in designing their tooth, it's a sense of achievement for them as well. And I just look, being able to leverage that technology and create that patient experience, that's what I think CEREC is about. It's got nothing to do with the numbers. It's got nothing to do with our oh, saving lab fee and everything like that. I mean, that's where the accounting case starts for most owners who buy CEREC's. But the ones who are truly are leveraging the technology to improve their practice and improve their patient experience, that's where the real ROI comes from. Because that patient who had an amazing experience, you, you can be damn sure they're telling their mother, sister, father, brother, daughter, son, oh, this is what we did the other day. It was amazing. Or they're going to work and they have those conversations and they do have those conversations. I have so many patients who've come because someone else said, hey, such and such was here and this is what they experienced and they thought it was great. And I think that's really what I've enjoyed out of this CERC journey. But what I'd also recommend to everyone else, right? Never take it for granted. They're kind of bouncing off your reactions. And if you take it for granted, then they're going to take it for granted.
For sure. Now, Linka, you teach courses. You obviously teach like Seric to Success courses. You run your own Facebook page revolved around it as well. And talking a lot about how to maximize efficiency using Seric in the workplace and also introducing newer users who perhaps are working in a practice that has a Seric, but they haven't had any experience using it before, or they're a practice owner who's recently bought one and is still figuring out the logistics of using it, much like your comment earlier when you said you were talking to the rep about how, yeah, it takes you, what, 40, 50 minutes to prep a tooth, 15 minutes to insert it. What have you discovered in terms of utilizing it to maximize efficiency? And would you say from a practical point of view, what your top tips would be for people getting into digital dentistry to maximize their efficiency in using CEREC? I guess maximize efficiency. And I think the key, yeah, just before we go into the efficiency side of things, we shouldn't be prioritizing efficiency over experience, right? And what I mean by that is the efficient thing would be to get in, do the work, get out. But at the same time, I think spending that extra little bit of time showing your patient, taking them on a journey, walking them over to a mill and saying, hey, this is your tooth being made. Like, I think those are the sorts of things that do take a little bit of added time, but I think really contribute to the experience. And whilst I'm happy to share what's made things efficient for me, I really think that that shouldn't be lost. When it comes to actual efficiency, and this is what we preach at our courses, and just a quick mention to Cal Watson. So he's another dentist that runs the courses with me. I could never do any of the things that we've done without him there. And also big mention to Rachel, my wife as well. Without her support and everything like that, I would not have gone on the journey that we've been on. But Coming back to the efficiency side of things, it's very much the two things that we champion at our courses are purpose and confidence, all right? Purpose, we mean you need to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and that goes from type of prep, type of material, how you're going to cement it, bond it, and what is the workflow of that particular material through the CEREC system, how long it takes to mill, how long it takes to furnace, how long it takes to finish, polish, stain and glaze, all of these sorts of things. Because if you have that purpose in knowing exactly what you need to do, that is the thing that's going to cut your CEREC appointment from three hours to an hour and a half. And that has nothing to do with your skills in designing or anything like that. And one of the biggest things we hear about when we do these courses is we have little questionnaires that we hand out and saying, what do you want to gain from the weekend? And the first thing everyone says is efficiency and I want to get better at designing. And design is not where you're going to save time. Your design skills could be the best in the world, and that is still not going to be where you save time. Where you save time is how you prepare the tooth. Tooth preparation is everything. And if you prepare the tooth properly, and what we mean by properly is basically focusing on five main things. That's reduction, path of insertion, smoothness, margins, and your tissue control so you can get a really nice scan. If you focus on these five things and nail them, then the only thing you're doing on the prime scan or your scanning unit is just hitting next, next, next. You're not, because if you do those things properly, the software and the technology is at a place or at a point that 
it will give you the perfect tooth almost every time. And the whole process can be done from scanning to pressing the start button to get it milling in sort of five to 10 minutes. And this is not just saying close enough is good enough. It will literally design you the perfect tooth. If you give it enough space, if you create the ideal path of insertion, if you give it good margins and the nice smooth preparations, then it's going to do the rest of the work for you. And I think that's where the focus should be. If you want to have more efficient appointments, get the efficiency in your preparations. And the number one question we like, the number one comment we always hear is, oh, my lab crowns fit perfectly. I've never had these issues until I got to a CEREC. And the simple thing there is like the CEREC doesn't lie. When your preparation is up on the screen 100x, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> it can be very confronting, but at the same time, it can also be very liberating because it's literally like a computer game. You see, well, if I take care of ABC, then that means I'm going to win. I get to go to the next level. And so having that approach, whereas when you send your work out to the lab, what happens is the lab is only going to call you if they really can't take care of it themselves. And what I mean by take care of it themselves, it means hollow out the tooth or slightly invade minimal thickness in some spots or there's ways to get around undercuts and contact points and all of these sorts of things and that's all done for you with a lab and i'm not saying death to labs or anything like that i think for the those really good labs we produce guys who produce consistent work and do excellent work or high-end work as well there's always going to be a place for them but the fact of the matter is that most people send out their indirect restorations for monolithic restorations. And monolithic restorations, the labs just mill that out, right? They take a scan of your impression and then they design it in their own software and then they mill it out and then they'll do some hand finishing. And that would be what the majority of dentists do because it's cost effective and it still gives you a decent enough result. Whereas with a CEREC, no one's making those adjustments for you you're doing them yourself. And so if you want a really efficient process, it means reducing the amount of adjustments you need to make. And if you, you know, you can't give it perfect preps, but if you really give it ideal preps, then the rest of the process is going to be very easy. And when I say ideal preps, like to put things in perspective, like I'm not someone who has amazing hand skills. I am someone who was very mediocre with their hand skills and over time repetition and Finding tools that helped me really allowed me to do my preparations for CEREC successfully. And when I say tools, I mean using electric hand pieces, finding the right types of burrs, the right size of burrs, using Softflex discs, and all these sorts of things that the person who had perfect hand skills or really good hand skills, all they need is one burr in a high speed. And then you could put them underwater and they can still give you the best prep. So I'm not that person. And so for me, finding all these little tools and tricks to help improve my preparations, really that's what improved the efficiency of my CEREC. And so when I was able to build on those build on those times where I did it right, that confidence came. And so if I knew my purpose for everything that I was doing, because as a new grad or even before I had a CEREC, it was very much find the smallest blur I could and then cut the tooth, look at it six times and wonder if I've got enough clearance. Hey, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> we were all there. We all did this. Whereas these days it's basically foot down, don't stop spinning until 
the objective I have in my head is achieved. And for me, doing preps faster is like, I find it more efficient, but I also find I make less mistakes or also it provides a better patient experience as well. Because that person who sat in the chair for like 10, 15 minutes getting their tooth prepped versus the person who sat in the chair for an hour and a half getting their tooth prepped, who do you think will have the better experience? At the end of the day, it's not for me to say, hey, you need to do things this quickly or anything like that. It's just, this is what I found improved my efficiency. And that was using tools, particularly using larger burrs. And I think that's where people get caught out in Ceric the most. Like doing these courses for, I think it's close to 100, 150 odd dentists now, is that the number one thing we find people have an issue with is reduction. And when we talk about reduction, like every material that you use in the Ceric, or even in a lab, says it has a minimal thickness. And the minimal thickness for Emacs might be one millimeter. And be it Instagram or socials or whatever, people see these uh, occlusal veneers that you can hold up to the light or they put a caliper on and it says 0.3 of a mil or something like that, right? And it makes for an amazing Instagram shot. And in the right situation, that works really well. But in day-to-day dentistry, like, that's usually not the case. The reason you're doing this full coverage restoration, onlay crown, whatever you're doing, is because there's something majorly wrong with the tooth. And it's just about making sure you have that reduction wherever your restoration is, whether that be on the margin, whether that be on the occlusal surface, and really respecting that. And when it comes to efficiency of design and getting really beautiful teeth, like when you listen to the guys who've been doing CEREC for like 30 years of their restorations lasting 20 plus years, is they usually take the minimal thickness and reduce about 1.5 to two times that minimal thickness, if not more, because they know if they reduce that extra mil that their restoration is already significantly stronger. So it's going to last a long time because they've got thicker material, but also it allows the software to design beautiful anatomy into your restoration because you've given it that freeway space for it to be creative. Whereas if you just reduce one mil all around the tooth, you generally end up with this mushroom looking thing that doesn't look very nice. And you could spend half an hour trying to design this tooth the way you like it, but it just doesn't. You'd spend 30 minutes and you're like, well, I'm running late for the next patient. It's time to move on. And that can be very deflating because if those are the kinds of results you're getting, then you attribute that to the technology, to the CEREC and say, CEREC is useless, CEREC is rubbish. Whereas when you do give it that leeway and give it that extra space, that's when you don't need to touch anything and it's giving you this beautiful restoration. And also by respecting that minimal thickness and having a, a bulk to your restoration means that you're going to have a restoration that lasts a really long time, right? And that extra 0.5 of a mil or mil that you're going to reduce, that is not going to put you in the pulp. You're not going to see the tooth start bleeding on you, which is what everyone's biggest fear is. Just systemizing how to prep efficiently and using tools like reduction birds so that you're not thinking about, oh, okay, is this enough or is this not enough? You you sink that burr and send it through the tooth. Then you know you've reduced enough tooth structure. And because they have guards, you can follow the anatomy of that tooth a lot better than if you were just trying to do that freehand. So those are, I guess, the tips and tricks. I can't give it all away. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. I think that was wonderful. No, you said a few things there that really resonated with me when you're like, oh, when you don't have enough occlusal clearance and then you go to design your crown and it looks like a mushroom. I'm like, oh, I've had so many of those. <laughs> and it's just because it's, I think it's a common thing. It's just new grads, you're so scared to cut into a tooth. It goes beyond everything that we've not goes against what we've been taught, but just we've got this ingrained something ingrained in us where we can't cut. We want to preserve everything. We can't cut into it. So it's scary. And I remember attending your Seric to Success course and you're showing me how to use a depth cut book because I've never seen one in my life. And you just sank it in and you're just watching the beads of sweat trickle down my my, my head. And you're like, it's okay, Erica. You're not going to hit the pole. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true that I think it's a necessary step for us to overcome with just, yes, you do. That's what you need to do. I think as new grads, we have that tendency to under-reduce, but then you suffer the consequences of things not fitting and things breaking and not working well. And this is the thing. It's very paradoxical, right? If you want to be conservative, then you want to do this restoration once and you don't want it to break or fracture or something happen and you're back doing this restoration 12 months, 18 months, three years, four years down the track. You don't want to be touching this restoration again for another 15 years or something like that. And that's by no means in saying every one of my indirect restorations have lasted 15 years. Definitely not, right? But to give it the best chance, these are the things that the literature has shown us that you need to respect the tooth, but you also need to respect the material that you're putting there as well. And I think that that's really important coming back to that whole paradigm of purpose and confidence, purpose Knowing what to do comes from the knowledge of what the materials do or how they react, how they work under pressure. And taking the time to learn these things, I would hundred whether it's through our courses or whether it's the beauty of dentistry these days is literally any study you want is literally at your fingertips. All you need to do is set aside some time to find it. And for me, because CERIC was a passion and I remember being back at uni and the material science lecture is the one that I would only turn up to the week before the exam, right? Because that's when they were going to tell us what was in the exam. And also you'd get all the smart ass comments for the people who went to Griffith University. It was Rob Foster. You're like, oh, fancy seeing you here today. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now, especially because there's so much more on the line in terms of being accountable for every restoration, my confidence that the restoration is going to last and everything like that comes from my knowledge of the materials and understanding what is going to give us a really nice restoration. And that's a lot of what we teach at hands-on courses, just really focusing on principles of what's going to give you an effective, efficient restoration and something that you're proud of. Because again, positive feedback loop, that if you do things that you're proud of and they work for you, you're going to want to do it more and more. So that's, that's our big focus from our courses and how anyone can improve their surgery. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally, I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, 
You can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall, and at the end, you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education, including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. I want to wrap things up soon because I know we've taken up a lot of your evening. I could talk to you all evening (laughs) and listen to you continue sharing everything. But one topic that I did want to touch on before we do wrap things up is we mentioned earlier about your journey in practice ownership and how you feel like when you started your own practice, it really liberating you and opening up all these new doors, all these new possibilities of what you could do, both in terms of with your patients, but then investing and exploring the world of digital dentistry. And I kind of wanted to touch on it a little bit more and also your journey from going as a practice owner and working with your wife to then expanding and having associates and this whole practice owner and associate relationship, how you really work together and the things that you learn from one another. Do you reckon you can kind of yeah. touch on that journey? Absolutely. Like, continuing your story from right, we so, ended it at you found Serik. What uh, happened next? <laughs> so, yeah, it was funny. So I found Serik and then we got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm killing myself and the practice is growing. We need associates, right? And the practice had had associates before. But it hadn't really worked out for either the owner, myself, or the associates, right? It was very much everyone was clocking in, clocking out. And that's kind of just what we did. And then it came to a point where I, through a few circumstances, I lost a few associates and was like, well, look, I can't do this by myself. I need to find someone. And that was a time where it was hard to get associates. It was, how do I find the right associate? And for me, like, I made it really simple. I was like, well, my name's not Nov. It's not someone with a big profile. Like, how can I get people to come work for me? So what I did was I said, first of all, the first associate that I hired, Matten, who literally I love like a son, and he's going to pay me out about this. But literally the first associate I hired was like Matten, and he reached out to me and said, hey, man, he knew me through my cousin. They were at the same high school. And he was like, I want to come watch you and see what this whole dentistry cape is all about. And he was in fifth year and he came and it clicked. And I was like, look, hit me up when you graduate. And he graduated and it came to a point where I was like, look, I don't think I'm busy enough to have you full time. If you find a full time job, go do that. I don't want you sitting around here doing nothing. Like I want you to make the most of it now that you've graduated. And So he went to another practice and then he messaged me. He called me up. He called me up two or three months in and he said, man, I don't care if I'm sitting around doing nothing. I want to come work with you. And I was like, as soon as he said that, I was like, damn, let's do this. And I was invested as all hell. And my approach to dealing with associates and bringing on new associates, it was very much treat them the way I want to be treated. So if I rewind to all the things that I didn't like when I was an associate. I was like, you know what? Pay them what they want to be paid. 
what I would have wanted to be paid back then. Support them is, the, I think, the biggest thing. Everyone talks about mentoring. Everyone talks about come learn this, come learn that. But I think what is more important, particularly if you're hiring new grads or dentists with not as much experience, is support. To know that if they fall, that you will catch them. And that's what I said to Matt. And I said to Matt, hey, look, these are the things I want you to do. This is the way I communicate with patients and I want you to try this. And Matten did everything I asked him to. And within, I think, well, probably like a couple of months, he, he started doing the cases that I was doing regularly, like the small makeovers, the full mouth rehabs. And it took me like eight to 10 years to do these sorts of things, right? To even have the courage to attempt them. But for me, it was very much that at that point in my career, I was very confident in doing those cases and you know what I was, I said to Matt and look, I, whatever happens, I will take care of it and I will look after it. And he nailed it. He nailed it from case one. And the things that did for his confidence, the way he talked to people, the cases that he was choosing to do and everything like that, it just went on leaps and bounds. Like as much as we talk about dental peacocking and being proud of what you do, the things I'm most proud about these days is not when I do a nice case, it's when my associates do a nice case. So you've become from being the dental peacock to being the dental peacock dad. Hey? Yeah, right, 100%. <laughs> the joy I get when my associates put up their cases and proud of, that they've nailed it and they go through that same experience as I did, making a difference in people's lives. Like when they do that, that's when like that really hits different. It, it took a level of trust from them to take on these things and trust that I would be there to help them. And the trust they placed in me, that's a big thing to do, right? Because, and just for anyone listening, this isn't the way things are usually done. In dentistry, it's very much you're a big boy or girl, put on your big boy or big girl pants and don't do anything that you can't fix, right? Whereas my mentality was like, we're in this to grow together. We will win together, we will lose together, and we will grow together. And that's the attitude I've had with my associates, and I couldn't be prouder and happier with the way it's played out. And once it, Matten was basically the beta test, <laughs> right? <laughs> Shout um, out to Matten if he's listening, Oh, hey? definitely. <laughs> Matten's where it all started. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I've kind of got an avatar or a profile of the person I need. The person I need is someone who's motivated, who knows how to talk to people and, you know, someone like I enjoyed spending time with as well, right? And it was like, well, how do I find more people like this? How do I get these people to come work for me? And so I came up with the idea of, well, I don't have a big brand or standing or anything like that. So I was like, I have a surrogate. So I just started inviting people, students around to come spend a day with me at the practice and I'll show you how to do a CEREC. And everyone prepped out a tooth and did a little zirconia crown they took home as a souvenir. And it was a fun day. Like I, I loved it because they were just as enthusiastic and excited about it as I was. And that's where the whole I want to do the teaching thing and the speaking thing came from. It was, I started there with like four students at my practice on a Saturday. And I did that a few weekends in a row and I found my next associate, Janine, and it all worked exactly the same way. It was like, trust me, I want you to do these things. And the growth that they've had in one or two short years is like amazing. 
is absolutely amazing. And even for myself, like you know, coming back to the whole dental peacocking thing, right? Like the reason I'm so proud of my work is because for eight years I had nothing I did I was very proud of. But then when I really changed my mindset and my attitude and pushed myself, like everything came from the last three or four years. And I'm just like, wow. And kind of kick myself. Like if I had this attitude when I first graduated, like I would have taken over the world straight up. <laughs> yeah. And then slowly word grew and we had more associates that came in. And once I knew the profile of the person that I wanted, it became very easy to bring on associates. And I have no doubts that all of my associates will eventually leave, right? They will go on to chase their dreams and do what appeals to them. And I, I know that and I'm happy for that because I can't be out here chasing my dreams and tell them not to chase theirs. So when they do leave, that's when we'll find more associates. And for those people who want to be supported and want to grow, like that's the kind of person that we usually look for. And that's been my interaction with associates. And the, I think the other thing that really helped with the associates and them going on that crazy growth in 12 months was that I was someone who was doing these cases in front of them, spelling it out to them and saying, hey, this is the way I want you to do things and try this and you'll be surprised how much it changes. And now it's gotten to the point where every day I'm trying to push myself. You've been lucky enough to attend one of my courses and literally at every course, there'll be a 10 minute dedicated window where I show everyone the Denzel Washington <laughs> Motivation. video. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> and it all comes back to the message is that you will fail. Everyone will fail. You'll suck at something, right? But at the end of the day, it's not about not failing. It's about learning. It's about understanding that if you have goals, dreams, and everything like that, you've got to put in the effort to do them. And if you fall short, that's okay. But at least you're trying and never be in a place where if basically if you're not trying or you're not failing, then you're not really growing either. That's a really important message that I just wanted to pass on to the listeners. But when it comes to associates, the lens I put on was treat them how I want to be treated. I wanted someone to tell me, hey, do these, I'll catch you if you fall and let's go take over the world together. That's what's really worked well and been helpful for us. So I hope that answers that side of the question. That was our second motivational quote for the evening. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting what you talk about and painting the picture of your relationship with your associates. And again, alluding to the previous episode I did with Nova, we actually talked about the different types of work arrangements that new grads may find themselves in, whether it be at a small practice where the principal dentist is still practicing, or if it's a mini corporate where the principal dentist is a bit more of a practice owner and less involved clinically to bigger corporates and the pros and cons of each arrangement. And I think this is a really interesting one that previously I hadn't really considered, but I think for all our new grads that are looking to find their first jobs, an important thing to consider. And again, things are different for everyone. Everyone's looking for different things. Everyone learns in a different way and is after a different mentorship style. But in your arrangement within your practice, this is very much one where your principal dentist is present with the associates. You're there working side by side with them. If they're stuck in a situation, you're there to bail them out. And I think it's a really valuable setup. It's interesting, right? And like we have two practices 
And initially there was a lot of, I'm right there, I'm right next door, just come grab me. But as we've had more and more associates, like I'm not there, uh, I'm at the other practice or I'm not working that day. But again, leveraging technology, right? All it takes is if you're having a rough situation or trouble with an extraction or something like that, is that you, you just walk out of the room, give me a call, FaceTime me. We can pretty much talk through anything as if I was right there. And I think what's more important is that you feel comfortable doing that because I'd never felt comfortable doing that as an associate because I would be too worried to wonder what the boss thinks about me or being judged for asking stupid questions. Whereas in our practices, it's very much, there are no stupid questions. If you need help, just ask and someone will find the time, whether it's me or whether it's someone who's better at this than you are. And there's no egos or anything like that because everyone really just wants to see everyone else succeed. And there's not that, oh, he stole my patient, she stole my patient, this, that, the other, right? It's very much everyone's in it to succeed, right? And we do try and keep all the patients with the same dentist. And if someone else needs to come in and put in their expertise, we're more inclined to show that initial dentist or talk that initial dentist through how to do that case and then be there as a and that mentality of everyone just growing like i'm at a stage where i kind of just focus on the clinical stuff i want to do but i can think of nothing better than just pointing off all my patients to my associates and them doing all the cases right because for me i'd rather what makes a successful business is if that business can run without you and so that's, I guess, been a focus. But at the same time, like I still really am passionate about the CEREC and doing these larger cases and making a difference. If you can also be a bit tricky in when the practice owner is still practicing about how patients get divided up or which cases see who and that kind of stuff. And I think at the end of the day, if you're a new grad and you're looking to take on a position, it should be very simple. It's other people that they're going to help me. Do I feel comfortable with them? Do I feel supported by them? And from there, if that those boxes are ticked, then you'd be surprised what you can achieve and how quickly you can grow. And so just one final thing when it comes to the whole associate thing. And at the end of the day, so much of it is the environment you are in, but so much of it is also you and what you do in that environment. If you're putting in no effort, if you're not making the time to learn or follow or just be present, then, and the only thing you're thinking about is what you're doing after work or what you're doing on the weekend or where you're going and all that kind of stuff. I think that's when it's unfair. Uh, I think you have to have a balance. You, you have to have, if you find the best mentor and support in the world and you're not putting in your all or giving your effort, that's when it can count. That's when you can get complacent and again, not grow and achieve the things you want to achieve. 100%. And guys, even though we haven't directly alluded to it throughout our episode, what I've noticed that I think a running theme of it is this idea of leadership. And a concept that I feel very passionately about is that true leaders and great leaders aren't ones that dictate, but they inspire. 
And throughout their entire conversation, I see that as a common trend where you talk a lot about and you come from this mentality of if I can do it, so can you, right? I started from humble beginnings as well. And I've gotten to where I am together, like where I am now. And this whole idea of growing with your associates, that they're learning, but you're learning as well, and that you're all growing together. And I really love that mentality. And I think Having listened to you (laughs) over these last two hours, it's been really wonderful, but I can confidently say that this episode has definitely inspired me. So thank you for sharing all your knowledge and all your pearls of wisdom and motivational quotes. Do you have a final one to leave our listeners with just to wrap up the episode? Look, uh, there's one thing, sorry, I I know this is extending it a bit, but there's one thing I had to say. Have to say, we have to. Because, because, you know, you just really made me remember it when you said um, growing with my associates. It is so true. Everyone knows that one of my associates is Ben Dak. Oh, we haven't mentioned Ben yet. Oh, we <laughs> we gave ben. Madden we, and Janine. And <laughs> we can't not mention Ben, right? Yeah. So when it comes to Ben, Ben is one of those people where like he has such a passion and a drive to him that you can't tell Ben what to do, right? <laughs> you just strap yourself in and you're along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, Ben takes us places. But then at the same time, like I'm so grateful for people like that to be around because that's then opened up my own limitations and helped me just say, hey, you know what? This can work. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it's really gotten myself out of that self-limiting sort of nature, which is sometimes easy to do if you're a practice owner because no one's going to come up to you and tell you what to do, right? Yeah. I just had to mention something about it's a two-way street. As much as my associates will learn from me, I learn so much from my associates as well. And when everyone grows together, that's the greatest joy. And that's if one motivational quote to leave it. It's we can all win together. So it doesn't need to be if I win, you lose. If we all win together and we all want to see the best for each other, like that's when we grow as associates, as dentists, as a profession and as people. You know, I really hope that for everyone. One of my favorite quotes is, a rising tide raises all ships. Oh, 100%, right? Much more eloquently put than mine. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd slot that in there. (laughs) That's wonderful. Sorry, Erica, I just wanted to do uh, one last little plug. Obviously, uh, we have our Cirque to Success Facebook page. We've grown slowly over time and it's really picking up pace. We put all our cases, all our tips or tricks in there. Any events we have coming up or any CPD courses, please join. Just search for it in Facebook and it will come up. And also feel free to participate. Like you've heard me talk for the last couple of hours. I'm a very positive kind of person, right? We wanted that space to be very supportive and positive as well. So any questions you ask, go to town. Don't feel like you're being judged for it or anything like that. Hopefully a few of your podcast listeners can come join our Facebook page. And just in closing, I wanted to say, honestly, thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. Doing these podcasts and things like this, this is obviously very new to me, but thank you for taking the time and inviting me on here. It's been so fun. It's been such a pleasure. I can confidently say this has been one of my favorite episodes to record. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so good. And I'll definitely, we'll link the Facebook page in our show notes so all our listeners will know where to find it and to join. And then they can really see all the different and wonderful things you guys are sharing and 
doing to help new grads and even experienced dentists just see the benefits of you know, CEREC and digital dentistry and the experiences you can offer patients. So thank you, Lingai, once again for joining. Cheers. Thanks, Erica. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.